It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Musician Studio. I'm Ethan Millard. We've got a great guest today. His name is Chance Thomas. He is a musician and composer. Chance, thanks so much for being here with me. Hey, Ethan, it's great to be here with you. So tell me, Chance, uh, you, you've done a lot of work. You do a lot of scoring, film, television, games. I mean, you've just done so much of that kind of work. How long have you been in this composing business? How long have you been in music? Oh, all my life. I mean, I wrote my first song when I was 10 years old. You're kidding. <laughs> what was it? What was the song? Do you remember? I do. It's kind of stupid. But <laughs> but you could sit down and play it still? Yeah, I could sing it to you. You wouldn't want to hear me sing it, but uh, it's called One Plus One is Love. <laughs> no, at 10 years old? 10 years old. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Thinking like a third grader, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. <laughs> no, that's a pop hit. Man, One Plus One. You could have sold that to the Jackson 5. Totally. You know? I mean, it's right. Like, I Missed my opportunity. Right up their alley. Uh, So did you do just the lyrics or did you do the music as well? No, I wrote the lyrics and I wrote the music. And um, then when I got into high school, I formed a rock band and uh, wrote a bunch of songs for the band. And, you know, we'd play dances and things like that for our high school and other high schools. In fact, I grew up in Oklahoma City and our big claim to fame was a band, as a band, was that one of the schools, one of the high schools, changed their prom night to a Monday night so they could get us, right? Because we were kidding. booked all weekends. It was, it was great. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you play your own material or? So we did, we would, we mostly did top 40 stuff, okay. right? Because yeah. that's what sure. people wanted to hear course, and dance yeah. to. But right. we would always try to throw in an original every set. That's awesome. So music has been with you this whole your whole entire life. My whole life. Did you ever consider another career? Sure. Yeah. Um, when I was in my early twenties, in fact, when I started my college education, I was a business major and studied marketing and actually got a scholarship from uh, Central Oklahoma University to Brigham Young University to study in their business school. But I spent a semester on campus at BYU and discovered that they had a recording studio uh-huh. on campus yeah. and it was all over that after that man. that was it <laughs> uh you put that scholarship to good use yeah well you know i asked if i could transfer from the my scholarship from the business school to the music school and the dean's like what <laughs> that's not ever happened before but... no, yeah right <laughs> right as he notes a, a world's first right <laughs> But it worked out great. I mean, BYU has had a fantastic program. They still do have a great commercial music program. Taught me all about the recording studio. Taught me how to capture sounds, how to mix sounds, how to take an idea from your head and turn it into something that anyone could hear. Uh, you told me before we started recording, you consider yourself more of a composer than a musician. For sure. Why is that? So um, <clears throat> music is always coming to my head, yeah. right? All these ideas, melodies, harmonies, textures, things like that. And so I compose. I, I get that out and I put it to picture. I put it into a game. As a musician, I'm not as technically skilled as the musicians that I hire to mm. play the music that I've imagined. Right. So right, that's right. kind of where the, 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 the distinction is. Um, somebody who invents the, the song, somebody who invents the score is more the composer. And then the professionals who come in and really bring it to life with their skill and their precision, 
those are musicians, and I have so much respect for them. So let's say you're scoring a game. Yeah. And uh, you're writing it out. You've got it in your head. Do you also then play it, or do you already know how it's going to sound? So um, Can you literally hear it in your head? Yeah. So the best scores, I think, come to you in your mind, right? You hear it in your head, and then you go and you use technology to try to recreate what you're hearing in your head. Now, as far as a game goes, back to your original question, do I play the games that I work on? So it totally depends on what the developer supplies me with. I mean, dude, sometimes I've been given a sheet of paper with two paragraphs on it that say, here's what we want in our game, go make it happen. Okay. Other times I've had full downloads of the game, updates, I'm putting music in, I'm checking it, I'm listening to it, we're tweaking it back and forth until we totally dial it in. So how do you know then how it's supposed to sound? I mean you've got this product and I guess I guess maybe anyone could look at it and understand, well, this is an action uh, game or an action scene, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you're doing, or this is uh, something more personal or quiet. Anyone could notice that. But how do you know what it's supposed to sound like? Right. Whether it's a game, whether it's a TV show, no, wh- whether it's an it animated is. film, you look, right? you look at a scene, you're like, okay, I've got to put music in this scene. Right. So it depends, too, on how deeply I go into the post and post and into the production and post-production process with the particular score. For example, um, years ago, I created the score and songs, song productions for a short film called The Chub Chubs, which won an Academy Award. Cool. And I started with just an animatic, and I wrote music there. Then we went to the orchestra. We recorded it. Then I was on the dub stage when they were laying it back. So I was very involved in all steps of that process. On the other hand, I've been involved with a game team that said, here are the six music tracks we need. Make them loopable and toss them over the wall to us, and we'll implement them. You know? Really? Yeah. So uh, they're putting a lot of trust in you. Sure. Has anyone ever thrown it back over the wall and said, <laughs> try again? Yeah, exactly. So that's a process we call iteration. <laughs> right? What? Okay. All right. I've, ne- I, I've heard that word before, never in this context. So, so what is that? Uh, how does that uh, work? So let's say you hire me to score your film. Okay. Right? All right. So uh, we sit down and we talk through the emotions that you want in each of the different scenes and kind of how you want the rise and fall of the drama to go throughout right. the film. So I go back to my studio and I start creating this music. I'll send you what we call mock-ups, which is a synthesized realization of sort of what it's going to sound like when we get the orchestra in. Okay, So then you'll listen to it, you'll watch it against the picture, and you'll send me notes. You'll say, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, throw this out, emphasize that, and so then we iterate. You know, I'll do another version. Okay. I'll send it to uh-huh. you. You'll check it out. Yeah. You'll send me some more notes. I'll I'll do another version, send it to you until we both love it. You know, it's uh, how I, – I don't really know how to ask this question. So I'll just fumble my way through it. No worries. So the work that you do is for these projects that are – Yes, they're artistic in nature. Yes, they're creative. But they're also you know, part of a business. They're, they're products, right? Absolutely. And when you look back at, the, at, at history, are you doing the same work that we've seen composers do in the past? So that's a good are question. You, are, you, are you carrying on? Even though so much of our world is, is uh, 
commercial in, in fundamentally different ways in, in the past. Are you carrying on that same work? So I think what you're saying is in the great tradition of Beethoven I'm asking and Mozart if you are, I'm asking if you are Beethoven, yes. Are you <laughs> yeah. today's Beethoven? So here's, here's the answer to that question. In many cases, the Rachmaninoffs of the world, the Mozarts of the world, were creating music that was intended to be performed on a concert stage as an artistic expression. Not always, and I'll get back to that in a minute. I have never done that. Everything I do is underscore. And music scoring is distinctly different from music for a concert stage. Because when you're doing music for a concert stage, you're making an artistic expression of yourself. But when you're doing underscore, you're communicating. You're communicating at an emotional level to the audience. As a composer for visual media, my job is to sit back there and turn knobs and raise and lower sliders to manipulate your emotions based on what the drama is that needs to unfold. Oh, that's incredible. So back to Mozart. You know, other times, like when he did a concerto, that was an artistic expression. But when he's doing an opera, you know, the magic flute or whatever, he's also doing underscore. Right. Yes. So they did some of that and they started to develop that language. And the thing that's fascinating to me about underscore is you and I predictably respond biologically okay. to certain harmonies, certain rhythms. And, for example, action music triggers the same release of chemical hormones and I, I call it the adrenaline cocktail. Mm -hmm. Right. Action music causes your body to release the same combination of chemicals that it releases in an actual fight or flight situation. I've felt that. I mean, I I've, I'm, I've haven't been in a fight since I was like 13. Right. But <laughs> I know how amped up I can get during an action movie. I love action movies. Right. And I know how amped up I can get. And you feel like you're there. And the music delivers that. It does. Yeah. I mean, rhythms, harmonies. Dude, we sit back and we manipulate your emotions completely. <laughs> <laughs> the, puppet, the puppet master. The puppet master. Now they're going to feel this. Totally. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And it's fun. And of course, back to your original question about artistry, you want to do that in an artistically satisfying way, right? You Natural. don't want to just do the same thing over and over again. For example, if I'm going to create this sense of awe and wonder and exploration in Middle Earth, which I've done – since 1998 um, for projects based on Lord of the Rings, on Lord of the Rings, I'm going to do that in a different way than, for example, I did when you're discovering Pandora for my score for the Avatar video game, right? Yeah. The flavor is different, but the harmonies, the melodies, the rhythms, the colors, things like that are all part of our toolkit because of how they affect us biologically. When you look back at your body of work, what are you the most proud of? Mm. Um, that's a tough question, man. Um, honestly, every project that I've done has stuff that I really love and stuff that I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, stuff that if you could go back and do it again, you would. Even though no one else can hear what you hear. Well, For everyone yeah, else, it's totally fine. Maybe. Because <laughs> you're your own worst critic. Right? Totally. Yeah, that's true. How often do you get a chance to really kind of go back and redo? 
ever? So you have the process, the, iterati- the iterative process that we talked about earlier right. while you're developing the project. But once it's shipped, it's, it's done. gone. Yeah. It's done you'll, because you'll, you'll never have a chance to reperform that or reuse it or yeah, I, just goes like Moses, at least not, like Moses in the basket. You just <laughs> you're send gone it down the river. Yeah. Right. See ya. Well, that's, a, that's an amazing, amazing thing. Do you feel ownership over your work even though you, know, you, you give it over to someone else? But yeah. has anyone ever tried to change what you've sure. created? Sure. Well, I mean, again, that's the iterative process that you go through. And one of the things – I do a lot of speaking at universities all over the country to music students. And one of the things I tell them often is this. Look, if you're a composer for hire, you're half artist – and half servant, right? You bring your artistry to the table, but it's always in the service of whoever the vision holder is. Usually that's the director. Yeah. Right? So um, many times I've said to myself, oh, this is perfect for this commercial, or oh, this is so right for this game level. And the vision holder will say, ah, no, that's not what I had in mind at all. And so as a professional, you say, okay, cool. What are we going to do? And you try to you know, do the Vulcan mind meld with that person and get mm-hmm. inside their head and then deliver what's going to delight them. You're never, you're never resentful as they try and basically ruin your, your great idea? So when I was first starting out, maybe more so. But after all these years, you realize that the fountain that you're drawing from is limitless. There's always another idea. Always. Let's grab a quick break here. Cool. When we come back, you mentioned all the work that you do, talking to students, things like that, music students. Yep. So when we come back, uh, I want to ask you a few things about putting together a career in music. Cool. You know, if it, for, for someone who is looking forward to this, feeling the call to music, you know, maybe you've got some advice you could share on uh, what to expect, what to look forward to, and uh, maybe avoid some of the mistakes that you've made along the way. Not that you've made any mistakes. I'm not assuming that, but, uh, you know... You know what I mean, right? Yeah, sounds great. All right, we'll be right back with more on The Musician Student. Welcome back to The Musician Studio. Our guest today is Chance Thomas, a composer and a musician. I'm going to throw that in there. Because you are both. Composer mostly. Uh, it's time, Chance, it's time to pick your brain because okay. not a lot of people know this, but you have written the book on composing music and specifically composing music for games. Right. And it's available at your website, chancethomas.com, which has uh, – if you go to chancethomas.com, you can, you can hear Chance's work. You can see the albums that he's created uh, and uh, the projects that he's worked on. And uh, tell us about – and I guess you can kind of refer back to your, your book, Composing Music for Games, but let's say we've got someone listening to this and they are feeling that call. They're very young. They're ready to make all the right moves. How do you – what's some, some good advice that you can kind of roll out their directions? They get off on that right foot. Right. So um, the first thing I would say is to listen all the time to great music. Just immerse yourself 
if you want to be a rock and roll guitarist, find the best recordings of the best rec- uh, guitarists you know and listen to them all the time. Listen to how they approach their sound. Listen to what kind of voice leading they do in their melodies. How are they riffing? You know, what kinds of things do they do with their pick? Where do they play um, on the bridge or close to the neck to get certain sounds? What kinds of pickups are they using, right? Because you have to educate your ears first. When I was young, I had a record player and two small speakers, and I would put on let's say, the first Boston album or Left Overture by Kansas or Tchaikovsky. And I would put those two speakers on either side of my ear and I would just lay down and soak it in. You know, oh, wow, that color. How did they get that color? What is this counter melody doing? You know, how did he get that? How did he evoke that feeling? What is that harmony that's happening? You know, you pick it apart, you internalize it. And I think that helps you develop judgment for what is good music and what isn't. So that's the first step, immersion. Uh, and it seems to me that that also gives you some options for the future because those are the things that are going to inspire and inform your future work. Totally. So the next step, I, I think, is get as much education as you possibly can. Um, I started off in business right, and then went over to um, recording, engineering, and production. I grew up always playing music, always writing music, so I kind of had that skill set. And then I was listening, so I had my ears trained. But music is a business. Yeah. And you better understand some things about P&L and about marketing and a little bit about human psychology and networking. So it was really useful to spend some time studying uh, business. And then also learning the tools and the technology and the pipeline of how do you create something from an idea in your mind all the way through to something that people are hearing out of their speakers. So I'm a big believer in education. There's tons of great programs out there for whatever you want to do, film scoring, video game scoring, um, pop music production, rap, whatever your thing is, there are great music programs at universities and colleges all over America. How do you know if you've got a future in music? If you can really make that into a career. What, what do you have to see inside of yourself to say, hey, no, you know what? This is something I can do. It's a decision. It literally is a decision. You decide this is what I'm going to do with my life. And then you go out there and you acquire the skills that are required to make it happen, the education, the skills. So obviously having musical talent of some kind <laughs> presupposes all of that. Sure. But I mean, I'm assuming anybody who has that thought cross their mind has some talent, you know. They can play the harmonica at a campfire and entertain people. They can yeah. sing at the karaoke bar and everybody has a good time, you know. Something like that. They've got something inside of them that says, I'm talented in this way. I'm a huge believer that you determine what your destiny is, you decide what you want. And then you learn what it takes to get there, and you are relentless and persistent. You stick around long enough, good things will happen. Hard work. Yeah, man. Well, listen, uh, you've also released a couple albums. Recently, yeah. And I'm interested because so much of your work, at least that we've talked about so far, has been this underscore right. and the scoring for these projects. How— what do you put in your albums, and how do you decide what goes in there? 
Because it's got to be really different from your scoring. Um, <clears throat> not so much. Really? Yeah. So when you said, how do you decide what to put in there? Let's talk about The Lord of the Rings Online. I've been working with that video game for 10 years. And recently we released the 10th anniversary commemorative soundtrack. So obviously over 10 years, I've done a lot of music, yeah, right? Yeah. So how do we choose which ones um, are going to fit on this album? Well, ultimately we decided to release a double album. Okay. So it's a two CD set. And I just went through and listened to all the stuff that I'd done over the years. It's like, okay, what are the most quintessential dwarven pieces that really tell the dwarves' story? What's the what's the thing that really brings you into the elves' world? What are the things that the hobbits, you know, the music from the hobbits that people connect with? And chose all those different tracks and then kind of built a story arc out of that. And that's how we selected, for example, for that album. How do you know that what you are describing – how do you describe things that don't exist? Elves don't exist. Right, right. Right. So how do, you, how do you know what they sound like or how do you know how to evoke that kind of imagery? Because I'm an absolute, total, dyed-in-the-wool, J.R.R. Tolkien nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent five years researching the literature. I mean, you should see my copies of the books. I've seen them because I've been in your studio. Okay, so you yeah. know what I'm talking about. I know exactly about. what you're talking right. about, yeah. So I went through and I found every single reference to music to sound, to song, to voices, to instruments, to how music influences and impacts the environment, right? Underlined all that stuff, collated it, organized it, and created from that body of research a style guide so that I could say authoritatively, according to J.R.R. Tolkien, elves play the following instruments. Uh, When a dwarf sings, it sounds like this. And then also based on that research, inferred some things, right? Right. So if you want to convey music that conjures up an image of, let's say, the Mines of Moria, right, what kinds of instruments would you use to do that? So super geeky. Um, <laughs> but it seems like that's kind of what you have to, but it have, works. to have. Yeah, it works. I mean, people listen to it and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm there, you know. I'm in Lothlorien. Up in the trees with the elves, I totally feel that. Or, wow, I feel like I'm in the Shire. And one other little side note about my work on Lord of the Rings, I started in 1998, which was before Howard Shore and Peter Jackson started their fantastic collaboration. And the license that my group had, there was a brick legal wall between us and Peter Jackson. So he went off and did his thing, and the people that I was working with did our thing. We drew from the same source material, but we could not draw from each other. So the music that I've done is totally different from, totally distinct from the music that you hear in Peter Jackson's films. And yet, as people listen to it, it totally puts them in Middle Earth. When uh, these books were written by uh, a legendary man, Mm. long dead, how did you know that at what point did you know that you were good enough and you knew enough to take ownership of his work like this and advance it into a place that he never took it and maybe never imagined it going? Yeah, so that's a tough question that I have to wilt from a little bit. I don't know. 
<laughs> if I could say it's you know, daunting. what you just said, right? But we do the best we can. And I tried to make sure that I did it justice because I loved it. And I put in the time and the work to really try to own it, or at least what I thought and hoped was ownership of it. Well, it's really interesting stuff. Chance, thanks so much for doing this. We really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's been super enlightening and a lot of fun. You can find Chance at ChanceThomas.com. That's ChanceThomas.com. You can also find his albums at HugeSoundRecords.com. That's HugeSoundRecords.com. But, of course, all that information is also at ChanceThomas.com. So go there. He's also got some contact info. If you're interested in, in uh, you know, know, know more about that work, and definitely pick up a copy of that book, music, uh, Composing Music for Games. I'm a big gamer myself, so uh, I'm all about it. So. Good man. All right, it's been great to talk with you. Thanks for having me in. Thank you so much, Chance. I really appreciate it.